I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Numbers chapters 18 through 20. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. The first seven verses of Numbers chapter 18 describe the priestly order. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. Also bring with you your brethren of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. They shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary and the altar, lest they die, they and you also. They shall be joined with you and attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting, for all the work of the tabernacle, but an outsider shall not come near you. And you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary and the duties of the altar, that there be no more wrath on the children of Israel." Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you, given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. I give you your priesthood to you as a gift for service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death." Well, this chapter, along with Leviticus chapter 10, verse 8, are the only two occasions when God speaks to Aaron directly and not through Moses. After the rebellion of Korah in Numbers chapter 16, he's the guy that desired to assume the priesthood, it's appropriate to firmly establish who's who here. Verse 5 is probably a reference to that failed attempt when it says, "...and you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary and the duties of the altar." that there be no more wrath on the children of Israel. As a matter of fact, Aaron's role was further validated in Numbers chapter 17 when his rod was the only one that budded. This chapter flows from the events of chapter 17. Aaron and his sons were the only Levites who served as priests. The remaining Levites supported them in the priesthood. Now look at verse 2 here. It says, "...also bring with you your brethren of the tribe of Levi," the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. Next, we have some comments about tithing, beginning in verse 8. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, Here I myself have also given you charge of my heave offerings, all the holy gifts of the children of Israel I have given them, as a portion to you and your sons, as an ordinance forever. This shall be yours of the most holy things reserved from the fire, every offering of theirs, every grain offering, and every sin offering, and every trespass offering which they render to me shall be most holy for you and your sons. In a most holy place you shall eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. This is also yours, the heave offering of their gift with all the wave offering of the children of Israel. I have given them to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. 
all the best of the oil, all the best of the new wine and the grain, their first fruits which they offer to the Lord, I have given them to you. Whatever first ripe fruit is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Every one who is clean in your house may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. Everything that first opens the womb of all flesh, which they bring to the Lord, whether man or beast, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And those redeemed of the devoted things you shall redeem when one month old, according to your valuation, for five shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty giras. But the firstborn of a cow, the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar and burn their fat as an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. And their flesh shall be yours, just as the wave breast and the right thigh are yours. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Hereafter the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore I have said to them, Among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak thus to the Levites, and say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord a tenth of the tithe. And your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. Thus you shall also offer a heave offering to the Lord from all your tithes which you receive from the children of Israel, and you shall give the Lord's heave offering from it to Aaron the priest. Of all your gifts you shall offer up every heave offering due to the Lord, from all the best of them, the consecrated part of them. Therefore you shall say to them, When you have lifted up the best of it, then the rest shall be accounted to the Levites as the produce of the threshing floor and as the produce of the winepress. You may eat it in any place, you and your households, for it is your reward for your work in the tabernacle of meeting." And you shall bear no sin because of it when you have lifted up the best of it, but you shall not profane the holy gifts of the children of Israel, lest you die. When Korah, Dathan, and Abiram tried to rebel against Moses, Moses was insistent at that time that he'd not lorded over them with his position in any way. In particular, he said he hadn't taken anything from them, not even one donkey, he said in Numbers chapter 16, verse 15. The remaining verses of this chapter clearly establish that the Levites will be supported by the rest of Israel with their tithes and their other offerings. Twelve tribes, 600,000 men, would maintain the support of some 22,000 Levite men and their families. 
Now, the wording in this chapter may seem a little confusing as to whom exactly is being referenced here, Aaron and his sons, or maybe all the Levites. This passage regards all the Levites, as we see in verse 6. It says, Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. We get additional perspective on that from verses 20 and 21, where we see a transition in reference from the priest to the Levites. In other words, the Levites served as priest assistants. These verses pertain to the provision of the Levites as well as the priests, who were also Levites, but special Levites. The Levites are to be supported by the various offerings brought by the people. Included in these offerings were, in verse 8, the heave offerings, the heave offering, we first saw a reference to that in Exodus chapter 29, verses 27 and 28. The Hebrew word there, teramah, simply refers to an offering presented to the Levites as a present for their own use. The right shoulder, which fell to the priest in presenting thank offerings, was called the heave shoulder in Leviticus chapter 7, verse 34, and also in Numbers chapter 6, verse 20. The first fruits offered in harvest time are seen in Numbers chapter 15, verses 20 and 21. These were also considered heave offerings. If you want to know more about that, then see the first chapter of the book of Leviticus, where we have a, a, a table there that shows an outline, actually, that shows all the Levitical offerings. And then secondly, whatever was not consumed by the altar fire in verse 9, that became also the offering for the priest and the Levites. And also every wave offering in verses 11 through 13. A wave offering, uh, these were parts of peace offerings, so-called because they were waved by the priest. And then devoted things in verse 14. If you want to know more about the redemption of devoted things, then look at the notes on Leviticus chapter 27, verse 28. And then finally, proceeds from the redemption of the firstborn of man and beast in verses 15 through 18. And there's more detail about that in Leviticus chapter 27. See those notes. Now, these arrangements formed a covenant of salt, we see in verse 19, an indissoluble arrangement. All the heave offerings of the holy things, which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. That's verse 19. Now, this covenant of salt is actually only referenced one other time in the Old Testament, and that's 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 5. It's apparently a reference to the preservation or the permanence of a covenant. The support of the Levites is in view beginning in verse 20 through the end of the chapter. They are to be supported by the other tribes. Verses 21 through 24 specifically refer to the tithe in Israel. Other laws regarding tithing are found in Leviticus 27, Deuteronomy 12, and Deuteronomy chapter 14. What do you do when you've touched a dead body? Well, that's in Numbers chapter 19. We begin reading with verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest, that he may take it outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered before him. And Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger, and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. 
Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight, its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet, and cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, he shall bathe in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place, and they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. This is the law when a man dies in a tent. All who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. And every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it, it is unclean. Whoever in the open field touches one who is slain by sword or who has died or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. And for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification from sin and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. A clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent, on all the vessels, on the persons who were there, or on the one who touched a bone, the slain, the dead, or a grave. The clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day, and on the seventh day he shall purify himself, wash his clothes, and bathe in water, and at evening he shall be clean. But the man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among the assembly because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of purification has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. It shall be a perpetual statute for them. He who sprinkles the water of purification shall wash his clothes, and he who touches the water of purification shall be unclean until evening. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. Now, if this chapter was written directly upon the heels of the plague that killed the 14,700 people in Numbers chapter 16, as would appear to be the case, then there were a lot of dead bodies lying around in the camp of Israel. To touch any one of them was to be ceremonially unclean. One would assume that many were lying dead in the vicinity of the tabernacle as well, since the rebellion of Numbers chapters 16 and 17 actually took place on the south side of the tabernacle. The reason for putting this law here is found in verse 20. If anyone is unclean, he defiles the sanctuary. Moses had also mixed the blood of calves with the hyssop and scarlet wool and water to sprinkle the people and the scroll of the covenant in Exodus chapter 24, verses 6 through 8. So this red heifer ceremony was not completely foreign to the people. Mixed with water, the ashes of an unblemished red heifer burnt in its entirety outside the camp, that imparted Levitical purification. 
as explained in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. This red heifer ritual was probably conducted to ceremonially clean up in the aftermath of Korah's rebellion. Again, perhaps because of Korah's attempt to usurp priestly authority. Notice who's performing the red heifer ritual here. It's Aaron's son, Eleazar. You see, it's a family thing. Probably this is to clearly establish among the Israelites who they might expect to see as the next high priest. Notice what verse 2 says. It says, Bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. These first ten verses get frequent mention among Christians and Jewish scholars today. It's felt by many that a new temple built in Israel today must be purified just like this, with the ashes of a red heifer. While we have many red heifers that fit the criteria here in America, it apparently happens very rarely in Israel that a red heifer is born. When it appears that one is born in Israel, many take this as a sign that the Messianic kingdom is right around the corner. Perhaps the significance of this red heifer ritual is, well, maybe taken out of context. The real significance of the red heifer here was to use the ashes to ceremonially purify those who had contacted a dead body. They couldn't come into contact with the tabernacle without this cleansing. So it would appear that the object is the purification of the people, not really the tabernacle. As you can see in this chapter, purification after contact with the dead body was absolutely mandatory. To decline the ritual cleansing was to be cut off from among the assembly in verse 20. So here's what I'm saying. Bring on that red heifer. That brings us to chapter 20, and uh, you got to pay close attention here for the next uh, few seconds because I'm going to make a point. This, between chapter 19 and 20, is the dividing point between the activities of the beginning of the 40 years and the ending of the 40 years. We're just right now traveling in time from the second year out of Egypt to the 40th year between chapters 19 and 20. Now, did you get that? A big gap of 38-plus years between chapters 19 and 20. During that time, a whole generation of men have died off according to the decree of Numbers chapter 14, verses 26 through 38. The events during this time are not recorded, but for a recap of where they were for those 38-plus years, Moses actually lists the locations in Numbers chapter 33, which we'll get to later on. It's in that passage that we see the time frame for this chapter as we note Aaron's death here in verses 22 through 29. And we're told in Numbers chapter 33, verses 38 and 39, that his death occurred in the first day of the fifth month of the 40th year. So we're given a very clear time frame. So there's a gap, I'll say it once again, a gap of 38 plus years between chapters 19 and 20 of the book of Numbers. So in chapter 20, verse 1, we see that 38-plus years have just flown by. Verse 1, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zen in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, 
nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. Well, we've just jumped ahead 38 plus years, as I mentioned earlier. This is substantiated, by the way, in Numbers chapter 33, verse 36, where we see that Kadesh in the desert of Zin was their destination at the end of their 38 plus years of wandering. A whole generation has died off, and entry into Canaan at this point is imminent. The death of Moses' sister Miriam is recorded in verse 1. It's commonly believed that she's the sister identified in Exodus chapter 2, verse 4, who kept an eye on Moses while he was floating in the river and subsequently fetched Moses' own mother to care for the child on behalf of Pharaoh's daughter. If that premise is correct, Miriam is pushing 130 years old or so at this point. We have a whole new batch of adults following Moses, and now they're thirsty. They issue a long, detailed complaint to Moses, which, again, calls into question his leadership abilities in verses 3 through 5. But let's flash back to the incident with their parents back 40 or so years earlier. I refer to Exodus chapter 17, verse 3, where there it says, And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? You recall that God told Moses to, at that time, strike the rock with his rod. When he did, enough water for everybody gushed out. However, God is specific on this occasion to tell Moses to speak to the rock. But in a fit of rage, Moses smacks that rock with his rod, does it twice, and instead of just speaking to the rock, he smacks it. He gets water, but some bad news from God as a result of his disobedience in verse 12 when Here's what it says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. The Hebrew word here is plural. So as to be correctly understood, y'all, as we say in the South, y'all shall not bring this congregation into the land, meaning Moses and Aaron. Now, I don't feel too sorry for Moses. After all, he's, he's 120 years old at this point. Aaron's 123. And the last 40 years would have definitely been their most difficult years. Later on in this chapter, Aaron dies. Now, Meribah, in verse 13, is a transliteration from the Hebrew word, and it means to strive or to quarrel. The Hebrews did strive with Moses and Aaron on this occasion. We see in verses 14 to 21 that Esau's people, his descendants, they're still bitter. 
Verse 14. Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that has befallen us, how our fathers went down to Egypt and we dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from the wells. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. Then Edom said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. So the children of Israel said to him, We will go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. Then he said, You shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. So here you have the Edomites. They were descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. And Jacob was the father of Israel. Thinking that since Jacob and Esau had patched things up several hundred years ago, Moses sends messengers to the Edomites requesting peaceful passage through their land. Obviously, they've revived their bitterness over that whole soup thing between Jacob and Esau back in Genesis chapter 25. Israel is headed up the east side of the Jordan from the Sinai Peninsula. Through Edom is a shortcut to their destination, but the Edomites refused to let them pass through their land. As a result, they head northeast to pass around Edom on their way to Canaan. Israel would, over the next few centuries, have constant problems with these Edomites. As a matter of fact, uh, of the people that had conflicts with the Edomites were Saul in 1 Samuel 14, Solomon in 1 Kings 11, Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoram in 2 Kings 8.21, and Ahaz in 2 Chronicles 28. Later on, we'd have a slew of prophets that would make prophecies concerning Edom. Isaiah chapter 11, Jeremiah 49, Ezekiel 25, Daniel 11, Amos 2, Obadiah, the whole book, and Malachi. You'd like an overview of the history of the Edomites, then take a look at my commentary on the book of Obadiah for more details there. And then in Numbers chapter 20, beginning in verse 22, we see that Aaron dies a hero's death at the ripe old age of 123. We begin reading here with verse 22. Now the children of Israel, the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor. And strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eleazar his son, for Aaron shall be gathered to his people, and die there. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded, and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation." Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. Now when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron thirty days. Well, here we have eight verses detailing the death of Aaron and the transference of his authority to his son Eleazar. 
He's implicated here in the anger at the rock incident at Meribah, along with Moses, as the reason that he must die. But he's 123 at this point in time. Now, the ritual accompanying his passing is a little bit strange. And verse 28 seems a little cold when it says this, Moses stripped Aaron of his garments. Wow. Of course, if Aaron were to die in those fancy high priest glows, I, I guess they'd be defiled. He received a great ceremony, though. They officially mourned for him 30 days after his death. We get a perspective of the time frame from Numbers chapter 33, verses 38 and 39, where there it says, Then Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt on the first day of the fifth month. Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. So, three go up into the mountain, and two come down. Moses and the new high priest, Eliezer. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.